Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Politics without the soap opera. With unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight again for our freedom Specifically, healthcare freedom. This is your host, Daniel Hurwitz, back in the house. Early record here for uh, Wednesday, the 15th of September, and I will be gone on Thursday in uh, observance of Yom Kippur, the Jewish holy day. Um, we got to pray. So it's a day of prayer. But for now, I want to offer a little bit of hope today. Obviously, as always, like we do, we've been having on. Doctors, this has almost become like a healthcare show, but look, the linchpin to life and liberty is your healthcare, and if government controls it, you have no life or liberty. So this really is the issue of our time. I could despair, we could all despair. We need God's divine providence. But, you know, we are going to have on Dr. Corey, one of the most popular guests. He is the modern-day... I would say Raoul Wallenberg equivalent to make a Holocaust equivalent, a man who's just doing everything he can to save people, um, getting trashed by the media and being called a con artist and things like that. But he just plows on. Um, I know, I know some others that have given up. They're so despondent, not, um, Dr. Corey. So we're going to have him on, but I want to set the table for Dr. Corey Um, and really go back in history to give us a little bit of comfort. As bad as the times we live in are, as absurd and ludicrous as things seem, it does give us comfort that there is nothing new under the sun, as King Solomon said. And in fact, most of what is going on, at least parts of it, have transpired throughout history. So we're going to travel back in time. Today's sponsor, Better Spectacles. We're going to provide a vision on what to do for our liberty for the virus. But you need an actual pair of glasses to see first. A lot of us just throw our glasses into the drawer, never take them out because they don't fit well. Um, We can't see out of them. We don't do good with the progressive lenses. Rodenstock, they have you covered with their Ghostbex lenses. 144-year-old German company uh, with over 500 patents. They are the gold standard. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock. Their Ghostbex lenses in particular um, have more energy, offer no neck strain, and the ability to help you see up to 40% better. They have cutting-edge algorithms behind them. My wife and I love our Ghostbex lenses. Um Anytime you see me on TV, that's that's what you get. It's the Ghost Specs lenses. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Schedule a teleoptical appointment. Um, <laughs> unlike with ivermectin, like we're going to discuss, there still are no uh, blockages on Ghost Specs lenses, so you have no problem getting an appointment. And 
uh, getting those prescriptions. They're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Ghost Specs lenses plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. B- visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Never throw your pair of glasses away again. So this is really fascinating. Our listener, Brian, and I thank you so much for your historical perspective on this. I have the best audience. I, I will say this, the best audience in the entire um, political podcasting business. Very smart, very committed. Uh, you guys are like a family to me. This is this has grown legs far beyond what I've ever felt. And you could email me either dharwitz at blazemedia.com. I'm moving more towards Daniel Harwitz at startmail.com. Um, so Brian emails me a, a couple of letters from Benjamin Rush. Fascinating context. So as you know, Benjamin Rush was one of our most religious founders, very important founder He from, uh, from Pennsylvania. He was also uh, a physician. And a lot of people, you know, quote him as warning about this medical government establishment. A lot of people say it's not an accurate quote. I don't know the truth, but based on these letters, handwritten letters to his wife, Julia, in 1793, it sure seems like he would have said something like that. So it was the funniest thing. He was literally like Dr. Corey. Basically, you had a situation where um, it broke out end of the summer, kind of like where we are now, around September in Philadelphia. Started on Water Street. Yellow fever outbreak killed 12 people. It was spreading. He had a meeting with what was, what was called at the time the College of Physicians to discuss what to do about it. And it turns out the dudes fled the city. Remember, back then, things spread much slower, obviously, so they felt they could run away from it. And they had no interest in treating it, and he actually was, like, bashed for for treating it. Now, again, some of the things he talks about were very prescient. Some of the things were primitive that, you know, obviously don't hold true. You know, once science evolved over time, but his appetite for treatment, it literally reminded me of Peter McCullough and Corey and Ryan Cole and all these terrific guys that I've been privileged to get to know and you've uh, uh, been hearing over the last couple of months from me, from other people. But he formed a small team, almost like the FLCC. He actually had um, some freed slaves you know, that helped him at the time, um, and it was a truly remarkable story. And he was using experimental treatments, something called purging. He used salts and cream of tartar. Um, he tried uh, mercury chloride, Mexican tuber, all these different things. And he was ticked that these doctors were just totally blocking his treatments. Um, the doctors... And, and, and this is um, the University of Penn has a write-up on this. And they talk about how the doctors who are against it even decide to create their own remedies because they so badly did not want Rush's stuff to succeed. And, um, you know, Benjamin Rush gained a lot of accolades um, after he cured a lot of people. 
And the bottom line is he was being attacked in the media. He was being attacked by all, all sorts of other people. Um, and it's just truly, truly remarkable story. So while he was working, he wrote letters to his wife, Julia, and she was worried about him catching the virus and, and dying. And, you know, he said, or I'm first going to read to you just from Julia. When you have done the utmost to committing to the sick, something is due to your own family whom you have not seen for these months. And when the disease is going on, there will be an interval in which you can be spared and must come to us. She was begging him to come back. But that was his commitment to um, to what was going on. Um, it's interesting. He, he actually said to avoid all fatigue of the body and the mind. Stress. I mean, Ryan Cole could literally give a lecture on exactly how that works in your body and lowers your immune system. So, um, very interesting. And, you know, obviously he wanted to create large area hospitals, not stuffy ones. You know, certain basic things. But anyway, on September 12th of 1793... Literally, like, kind of this week in time. Unbelievable, thinking back 227 years ago. So, this actually, what I'm reading from, is not a letter. It was printed in the Federal Gazette. This was a Philadelphia paper. Dr. Rush regrets that he is unable to comply with all the calls of his fellow citizens who are indisposed with the prevailing fever. He begs leave to recommend to such of them as cannot have the benefit of medical aid to take the mercurial purges, which may now be had with suitable directions at most of the, I don't know what this fancy word, I'm assuming it's like a pharmacy, and to lose 10 or 12 ounces of blood as soon as is convenient after taking the purges if the headache and fever continue. It's just funny watching all this stuff, um, the almost universal success with which it has pleased God to bless the remedies of strong um, mercurial uh, purges and bleeding and this disorder enables Dr. Rush to assure his fellow citizens that there is no more danger to be apprehended from it uh, when the remedies are used in its early stage. It's funny. <laughs> Talks about early treatment. Um, and he he hopes this information will help people. It was like It was like a bulletin that was put out. While the disease was so generally mortar, mortal, meaning very deadly, or the successful mode of the of treating it only partially adopted, Dr. Rush advised his friends to leave the city. At present, he conceives this advice to be unnecessary, not only because the disease is now under the power of medicine, but because the citizens who now wish to fly into the country cannot avoid carrying the infection with them. In other words, his point was, you got to stand and fight. You got to stand and fight. There's no way around it. You got to treat it. So it was truly, it, it, it's just remarkable, remarkable watching this. Um, he anguishes over seeing people too late. Um, you know, he, 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 he talks about people that uh, he visited confined to bed. They didn't like his protocol. They dismissed him and sent for a French physician. 
but then it didn't work and they desperately sent for me, but alas, it was too late to help him. He was yellowed, cold, and puking blood. Oh, doctor, said he, wringing his hands, I was persuaded by my friends to employ the French physician, but help me, help me. I told him I would do my utmost for him, and with a heart wrung with anguish, I hurried from his room. Many, many such scenes do I witness daily. It literally reminds me of a doctor I can't mention on air doing this in ICUs, and it's not Dr. Corey, and he's like, I just don't know what to do anymore. I see people dying, and it doesn't have to be this way. Um, and he talks about people's con. I don't know who this con guy is. His publication has done immense mischief. Many doctors will follow him and scores are daily sacrifice to bark and whine. My method is too simple for them. They forgot that a stone from the sling of David affected what the whole armory of Saul could not do. Many hundreds of my patients now walk the streets and follow their ordinary business. Could our physicians be persuaded to adopt the new mode of treating the disorder, the contagion might be eradicated from our city in a few weeks. But they not only refuse to adopt it, but they persecute and slander the author of it. It's unbelievable, folks. Um, again, I'm trying to see where you guys could find this. Um, it is... If you Google Annotations from Letters of Benjamin Rush, Volume 2, 1793, by Lyman Henry Butterfield, copyright 1951. If you repeat that um, and uh, put that in your search engine, that should come up. Isn't that remarkable? Isn't that unbelievable? That it's too simple, scorned, oh, that can't work. And they'll just allow people to die. Everyone he treated survived. We talked about Dr. Tyson, Dr. Fareed. They have a study that not a single person in their 4,000 cohort of patients died. While 3% of those in, in, in the county in a similar status died. Two or three wound up going to the hospital. And I'm sure there was something funny with that. They probably came very late. Whereas 22% in the same county in that predicament went to the hospital. And they're scorned. Truly, truly unbelievable. But we're going to get to our modern Benjamin Rush. Um, today's uh, interview is sponsored by our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom. ADF has been standing up for religious liberty, sanctity of life, freedom of speech, marriage, parental rights in our nation's highest courts for decades with family freedom and even basic biology under assault adf needs your support now than ever they rely on the generosity of patriots like you go to adflegal.org slash cr get your copy of adf's ebook titled generational wins you'll learn about the vitality of their work america is strong when we stand together join the growing number of americans pledging their support for freedom and liberty donate today adflegal.org slash cr adflegal.org slash cr now, as promised, we have one of our favorite guests, one of really my favorite people in the world, America's doctor, the man doing the job the entire federal government refuses to do, Dr. Pierre Corey, pulmonologist, ICU doctor, um, but now more well-known as the co-founder of the FLCCC, 
that so many people have relied on for a life-saving treatment. They wouldn't know where to turn. Uh, Dr. Corey, thanks so much for joining me, even with you on uh, on a shift tonight. Hey, uh, I appreciate it, Daniel. Thanks for the introduction. It was it was a big one, but uh, oh, I have to return the favor. I mean, you you you're great too. I mean, you're everything that you've written about and 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 focused on and identified as issues uh, have been critical. So anyway, it's just a pleasure to be on and talking to you. So that's what I'm finding that's interesting here. This is uniting people all over the country. So on the one hand, the good news is, and it's born out of something terrible, is that the virus doesn't discriminate. So you could have someone wears a mask, doesn't wear a mask, gets the vaccine, doesn't get it, stays home a lot, doesn't stay home. I know a lot of people that have done the more, I guess you would say, cautious thing on all three of those fronts, and they've gotten the, the virus, um, shockingly so. They're very shocked about it, and then they're like, all right, I won't get symptoms, and then they get symptoms, and it's scary, and they have nowhere to turn. So people are finally turning to treatment. We're seeing the government is now, the federal government wants to take over the monoclonals. They're saying that it's limited. Uh, they're trying to limit supply. They're limiting everything. So... The good news is that people realize it. The bad news is, and this is what I need you to give people hope, people are seeing the supply of ivermectin. You know, pharmacies say they can't get it. Other pharmacies say they won't um, deliver it. People are having trouble getting a hold of what I call patriot doctors, the few, well, 0.1% that are willing to prescribe. So could you go through kind of a guide of all the, the people that are having trouble getting a hold of this life-saving treatment. It's a race against the clock. Um, those who haven't gotten the virus, they know they're going to get it within the next number of weeks. I know I'm going to get it here in Maryland uh, any day now. Um, what could people do? If you can kind of give us a guide of what you're seeing, yeah. and is there any light at the end of the tunnel? So, yeah, let me just say a couple of things on what you just said, though, Daniel, because number one, you talked about people being scared, and I really feel for them because you're right. Everyone did the right thing, right? They were told to get vaccines and socially distance and wear a mask. And and despite that, many people are getting sick. Many are going to the hospital despite all of that, right? And then those who haven't are scared they're going to get it because what they were told to do to protect them doesn't seem to be working, right? And so so you have a lot of this fear. And, and again, I think our message is a, a really positive one tonight because let's move to the second part of your question, which is like, you know, with all that fear, you know, that the you know some are getting sick, uh, some others are, get, are, are afraid of getting sick, and, and now they're trying to get life-saving medicine, right? Because we know that early treatment works. There's a number of stuff that works in early treatment. It's not just ivermectin. Ivermectin has to be, happens to be what I think is the most potent uh, and the safest one. Um, uh, and they know that. But guess what's happening? They're getting blocked by pharmacists. And I want to be clear what we're about to talk about, Daniel. They're getting blocked by pharmacists, not pharmacies. And there's a huge difference in that. And we got to talk about how to navigate it. And I got to tell you, um, I've struggled as a physician, uh, not as a patient, but as a physician and really with family members and trying to get them ivermectin. And there's nothing more 
horror show. I mean, this is literally a horror movie that's playing out as people are being deprived of life-saving medicine. Physicians who are overworked like myself, I mean, like literally stretched thin on both sides with the FLCCC. I work, you know, I sometimes work 128-hour weeks in an ICU. <laughs> and, and, and like when I have an individual patient that I'm trying to help on the fly who's an outpatient and, and I have to call three pharmacies, I, I'm literally going to lose my mind. But here's the thing. I've struggled, 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 but over those struggles, I've learned a lot. And that's what I, we're gonna to talk to you. So let's start answering those questions on what can you do. So here's the thing. I would say that there's three major pieces of information that your listeners need to know, and they need to not be confused about this. Number one, there is no corporate policy that is blocking the filling of ivermectin at any retail chain pharmacy. Walgreens, CVS, Rite Aid, not happening, not coming from corporate. If any pharmacist says that, I am sorry, either they're lying or they've been fed misinformation or it's that old you know telephone game where someone says, oh yeah, corporate doesn't. And I've even heard other BS like, oh, my regional manager uh, you know, has told me not to fill it. It's all BS, it's not coming from above. So the, the, all, of, all of these poor patients need to know that that's a tell. If they say that, they're lying. Or, so you're saying there was nothing with the Walgreens letterhead, CVS no, letterhead, no. That went out and said, you guys have to ask prospectively what ivermectin is being used for. No, nothing like that. Nothing. Absolutely not. There is no mandate from from corporate that's trying to restrict the filling of these these medicines. In fact, yesterday um, on Twitter, someone was in distress and they tweeted and it showed up in my timeline. And they talked about something that I'm living every day of my life, which is yet another patient who couldn't get something filled and they were acutely ill. And guess what? Walgreens tweeted back at that person. I think you might have seen it, Daniel. Walgreens tweeted back and said, we're here to help you. Let us know the pharmacy, uh, the location, and the zip code, and, and we will address this. And so literally you had corporate, you know, stepping in on behalf of a patient slash customer, whichever you, however you want to define them. Now, so, so the number one thing that everyone needs to know, there's no corporate policy at any of those three main, like, American pharmacy chains. Number two, there's no corporate policy against filling at any of the big grocery pharmacy chains, which fill a lot of scripts in this country. So like Kroger and Publix and Walmart and Costco, no corporate policies at those major chains. Again, if you're running into a pharmacist who tells you that, they have been misinformed or they're lying. And unfortunately, I, I got to tell you, I'm going to say this straight out. Uh, uh, you can tell I'm, I'm kind of fired up here, Daniel, because I'm literally losing it. Um, I, I feel like I'm a one-man uh, army fighting this thing. But you know, I've talked to pharmacists who I know are lying to my face, and they've told me all sorts of things. They disassemble when I when I when I kind of push back at them, and I find it absolutely egregious. And I'll tell you why. I have made it. I've always been committed as a physician. I've never told a lie as a physician to a colleague, to a patient, to a superior. Now, in my personal life, I'm sorry, but I will tell an occasional white lie. I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not Jesus here. But but uh, as a professional. 
no way in a professional standing can you tell a lie, especially to a patient or someone who, who's in need of, of your services and expertise. I mean, I, I find that just egregious. And the amount of times that it's happened to me, I find it astounding. And in fact, I'm literally shocked at that. And there's not much that can shock me anymore, but that stuff shocks me. So, so let's review. Number one, three American uh, retail pharmacy chains, no corporate policy. The big grocery pharmacy chains, no corporate policy. The third thing that you need to know is that there are very few states which allow a pharmacist to refuse to fill a prescription. Very few. And then the, the, there are some others which actually allow them to refuse to fill, but mandate that they find, um, they can't abandon you. They have to find another place that will fill. They can't just mm. say, won't fill, good luck. So, so the chances that you're in a state that can't fill is very low. Now, it could be that you're in a place that can't fill. However, I will tell you, those laws that were written were generally around uh, conscience clauses around yeah. contraception. So, so that would be, a, I think, a, a gross misapplication of that law. Now, it might, be, it might be okay by the letter of the law, but I will tell you the recourse – to, to this, if, if you suspect someone's telling a lie or doing any sorts of obstruction, and we'll talk about this in a second, I'll, I'll pause to let you ask the next question. But, but uh, you know, one of the main stays of, of what I want to arm your listeners with is if you have any issues, I think you need, immediately need to call corporate customer service of whatever mm. major chain you're at. Immediately call them. Because i got to tell you, one of the things that I want to come out of this interview, Daniel, is that if you're listeners, and if this goes more broadly, because there's people all over the country who need access to early treatment medications, um, is that if enough of them actually do that, if they're blocked by the pharmacist and they actually reach out to these corporate chains and let them know of their obstruction, the nature of the obstruction, um, something tells me, Daniel, that a corporate policy will come out of this. And it Interesting. won't be supporting the pharmacist. That's my belief. In other words, what you're saying is now is not the time to back down. The fact that there's such a demand is people vote with their feet. Yes. They vote with their pocketbooks, and it's yeah. very hard for them to ignore that. So don't be discouraged. Oh, man, Walgreens is not doing it because John Doe pharmacists at this street in this city, Walgreens or CVS, is doing that. You're saying there's this perception that there's such a policy, but there isn't, and you should right away, if it's a CVS, you call CVS corporate. If it's Walgreens, call Walgreens corporate. Absolutely. And I got to tell you, we need help in fighting back against this huge system, these massive edifices of the alphabet agencies that, you know, that me and my band of brothers and sisters and the FLCCC have been fighting. I mean, we're literally like 10 people. I mean, you know, we, we need more help. And I, I think if that voice is heard, if the, if the average patient uh, and citizen on the street, the voices are heard, especially in these pharmacy chains, it's going to relieve one, uh, one mode of obstruction to getting life-saving medicine. No, exactly, because there's the mode of obstruction of, you know, there's the embargo on the doctor. So most of the, yeah, I tell everyone you have to assume your PCP is a deadbeat and they're not going to give you anything. So then you got to find the doctor and you guys are doing what you can. But, you know, there's people like you and McCullough's people and Ryan Cole and Marble and Urso. And I don't want to leave out names of all the people we've had on um, the Patriot doctors. But you, you, you can only, a handful of doctors can only treat so many millions of people. 
And so that there's a backlog, and then now the pharmacies are causing another backlog. And as you guys broke the news over a month ago with the viral load here, you don't have that seven to day, ten day clock you had for for such a long time. This is really truncated. Time is of the essence. So let's go through. I want to go through some of the mechanics of this. First, just a word from our sponsor of this interview today. I mean, folks, the same way you're seeing. Uh, you know, independent doctors get crushed by the system. This is really true of all small businesses. You did not go into business to do regulations and HR. HR can literally kill you. Well, Bambi has you covered. It, it costs about $70,000 usually to hire an HR manager. That's money <clears throat> most small businesses don't have. You know what? Bambi, they have you covered for just 99 bucks a month. They can maintain your compliance, craft HR policy, and here's the thing. They give you the same guy on the phone, email, text, however you want to get a hold of him. It's not like you'll get a new guy each time. So he is familiar with your um, your company from onboarding to terminations. Uh, they customize your policies to fit your business. And the thing is, it's month to month. It's not even annual. No hidden fees. You could cancel any time. Let Bambi help get your free HR audit today. Go to Bambi.com slash conservative right now. Schedule your audit. That's the BAM to the B, B-A-M-B-E-E.com slash conservative. So, Dr. Corey, um, just want to go through some of the mechanics. Okay, yeah. fine. So you call corporate to complain. But at the end of the day, both I want you to speak both from the doctor and the patient's perspective. So you call up. I'm calling a prescription for ivermectin, budesonide, um, you know, uh, androgen blocker, dutesteride, whatever. Um, what's starting to happen now, and I've heard this from several doctors, is, and, and this is important that people know this, it's not a war on ivermectin. It's a war on all treatment that works. So you get pneumonia, they'll they'll give you a nebulizer, buterol, budesonide, they'll always do that. But yet you get COVID pneumonia or the risk of COVID pneumonia, somehow you're not allowed to get anything. Wait, so I've heard- Hold on, let me interrupt. When you, I think you just said, I wanna just amend something you said. It's not a war on non-treatment that works. It's a war on repurposed drugs that work. Dan, you know as well as I do, that if there was some ni nice, shiny, new on-patent drug, uh, that was put out <laughs> at Pfizer or Merck. Would there be a war on it at the pharmacy desk, at the pharmacy counter? No way. Um, no way. Well, I think we know it's coming with Pfizer tweeting out every few days. There, uh, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and, and it's funny because they say you're messaging. They're like, look, you know, the vaccines are awesome, but we need this to accompany that. Oh, really? You know, that's yeah. what we were saying for a while, that you need a multi-pronged approach. But what I want to say is, you know, ivermectin to most people sounds like, you know, you know, something scary. It's like something new. But everyone's heard of azithromycin. Everyone's heard of prednisone. But I have heard from doctors that they will say, and this is a quote from one, this looks a lot like a COVID protocol. So let's say you call in all the, let's say, five things to one, the same guy, the same pharmacy. They'll take a look at that and they'll say, you know, all things equal, okay, budesonide, prednisone, they don't have a problem with it. You put it together as zithromycin, even without ivermectin, they're starting to down it. So my question is, what do you do as a physician when they say, what are you calling it in for? And what does the patient do when they're rejected? I, I mean, I say COVID and, I, and, and I, I say COVID, but here's the thing. By them asking that question, you know what's coming next. 
which is which is a little bit of a fight. Now here's here's my history as a physician in prescribing COVID as an outpatient. I have had I had no I had very very rare problems um, until I would say the last month or two last two months and it rapidly increased over the last two months. But you got to understand from January until late June. Um, I had extremely rare problems. I heard of more from others, but me, myself, personally, and I was prescribing all over the country, um, I only had maybe one or two instances. And in both of those, man, did I push back. I pulled rank a little bit, Dan. I said, I said, you know, all ego aside, I happen to be one of the world experts on the treatment of COVID with ivermectin. I'm happy to share with you my review paper um, and any other papers you want. And, and one of them ended up bracking down. One of them, I actually lost my temper and I shouted and I said, you're literally putting your ignorance of this medicine in between me and my patient. You're going to deprive my patient based on your ignorance. And she backed down. <laughs> but but that, was, that was then. What's happening now is it escalates really quickly. And then they start throwing crap at me, which I didn't really know how to deal with. Like they would say, I'm not putting my license on the line. And I, half the time, I didn't know the state regulation of the state I was prescribing in. So I'd be like, are you, is your state pharmacy board allow you to refuse to fill a prescription? They would say yes. And I wouldn't know if that was true or not. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> really have that information. And then they would say other stuff. They'd throw you know, out of stock at me um, or FDA, FDA arguments. And, and here's the deal is that's what I want to talk to about. So, so, so let's just go back. I told about the three things, the three sort of um, fallacies or, or the three uh, false beliefs, right, that are, that are rapidly going around out there, which is amongst doctors and patients that they don't realize that there's no corporate policies in those chains. They don't realize that in many states, pharmacists are not allowed to refuse. The other thing, and this is another huge one, I got to tell you, this is huge, and I didn't realize this until I started doing my research. I started asking questions. People knew I was, and I got to a number of trusted sources to find this out. But here's the deal. What everyone needs to know is that almost any pharmacy that you walk into, if they don't have it, if they truly don't have it and they're not lying, they can get it within a day in almost all circumstances. That is huge, Daniel. Because but isn't the supply drying up with ivermectin? No, not at all. Not at all. I listen. I have sources that. I mean, I hate to sound like an FBI agent here, but you know, I, I've been able to talk to a number of people, uh, and I've I, I have it on absolute authority um, that there's not a, a there's not a central supply problem. There may be regional. Um, or temporary halts in distribution. There may be temporary inventory. So if someone says they ran out, again, and I can go through, I'm going to go through the step-by-step -step process of what you do when you start getting obstructed at the counter. But, um, but I, I want, but I, that's more of a principle statement that I want to know is that people need to know that they, if they don't have it, they can get it. And they Which is always it. true of every other drug. Yes, Exactly. Ivermectin's no different right now, especially since that spike in demand, which just skyrocketed this summer. It was increasing, increasing, increasing through uh, through July, and then late July it like went up a cliff, and it continued. And then here's the other awesome thing that I want to say, and this is now this I just want to talk about this in terms of the country, its citizens, and its physicians, is that I also have it on good authority that 
the Farmageddon unleashed on ivermectin in the last two weeks, which everyone has seen in media, major media, television, late night talk show host, CDC issuing their bulletins, FDA making jokes, uh, you know, against horses, everyone calling it horse pace, all of this insanity that I've had to sit through. Well, guess what? It's not working. <laughs> the prescriptions are going up not down. The only places where I've seen it work, because I have first-hand knowledge of this, is in the hospitals. Yes, because you're trapped. Hospitals are shutting down. If they had it on on their formulary, and, and few did, they're taking away. However, uh, for all the Texans out there, I did hear that there are some states where orders are increasing in the hospitals, uh, and, that, and one of those mm. is Texas. And so some other states are shooting down, but, but the outpatient, where all the, all the people live, and really where it should be used, because you don't want to go to hospital. Um, and ivermectin works best early. It also works well late, uh, but no, not nearly as well as given early. And so um, that's where I, I'm most interested in making sure that, that people get. And I just love that the prescriptions are increasing despite them pulling out every gun it, bazooka. Yep, had. Every, and it's the funniest thing. Australia let it the cat out of the bag. They said, hey, this is a problem. We're banning it because prescriptions are increasing too much. And I always said, look, if everyone got sick from what they call horse whatever, horse manure, and everyone was having a crappy time of it, do you think they'd kind of tell their friends, relatives, and neighbors that are getting COVID at the same time, hey, boy, you better stay away from this. Why in the world would you double down on taking it? Clearly, I mean, it's it's working for everyone. Brilliant. And brilliant point, man. That's a brilliant point. And that, to me, is why the prescriptions are going up. Because, you know, physicians, if they didn't believe the literature, and they get so much information on both sides, I feel bad for everyone out there, the doctors as well, because, you know, you get some well-meaning docs, I'm going to count myself included, with my colleagues, highly published, very credible, who do careful research in science, we write papers that we, we get peer-reviewed, and then what we conclude, following the scientific process, gets completely distorted and, and attacked with disinformation from the other side, and they don't know who to believe. And even people don't know who to believe. They're told in all the newspapers that ivermectin is horse-based and only like the unwashed, unvaccinated take it. And it's bizarre the messaging they do. But, but here's the thing. People who have been treated with it know that they start to feel, feel better very soon after. And more and more people that's happened to, it spreads. And so, you know, like Paul Marek, my colleague and the founder of the FLCCC, like he's always said, you know, truth is going to win out eventually. It's been a painful ride, but I really do think we see a tide turn, especially, and I don't want to overuse war metaphors, but like we are literally beating back this massive attack. Can you believe that the American people have been attacked like with metaphorical bazookas? using media and everything, trying to suppress yep. access to a life-saving and, drug. And, and again, is insane. this is insane. this is late-breaking news as we're talking. It, it, the government is claiming that there's a shortage with the monoclonals. Now, again, I really am very suspicious of that, but putting that aside, that's all the more reason why it's so important to have a doctor-patient relationship and a seamless process and supply of prescribing again not just ivermectin but the 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 appropriate steroids at the right time and to deal with you know the potential pulmonary pulmonary inflammation that's your specialty i mean there's a lot of other things that need to be dealt with um so what is 
the process people should go through if they're getting prepared to call the FLCC, to yep. call one of the doctors that they know will prescribe. We got Dr. Molly James here has, you know, really been very generous. We've got, you know, Dr. Eric Hansen. Um, he's literally converted half of his head neck surgery uh, clinic to treating COVID for absolutely free. I mean, some of the best human beings alive I've met in this business, but then they're like, okay, but where do I call it into? So should they look for someone who is known and trusted, or should they try fighting with their local, you know, well, big well, here, here's pharmacy? The thing. Here's the thing. Uh, there is a nuclear option on how to find out where to go to the pharmacy, but I'm going to keep you and your listeners in suspense for a second because I want to keep that last because um, I first want to teach people how to navigate their pharmacist, right? So the first question you ask, I'm just going to go through a series of questions and some potential answers and what the real answers are. So because I want people to be as educated as they can about what they're dealing with, right? So, so number one, um, know that if you go to a pharmacist, you have any trouble, just ask for the pharmacist. Ask, are you the pharmacist? If not, ask for them. Many times you're talking to a tech who's been told not to fill or is having to do the dirty work, I hate to say dirty work, or protect the overworked pharmacist. And the pharmacists, to my mind, are either overworked and they just don't care. Um, they don't want to deal with this stuff. They're either ignorant. Um, many of them are ignorant or they believe the misinformation that's being fed to them and they don't want to fill it because they actually think it's not a helpful or effective drug and they're actually practicing medicine in many cases when they do that. I mean, that's exactly why you don't want pharmacists practicing medicine is because they're ignorant. They do not keep up with the literature and they don't have the clinical acumen or experience. So the other thing is many of them, are, I think, are falsely scared. They, they, they got all these memos and bulletins and Department of Health missives and their state pharmacy boards are also, you know, a bunch of rule followers and following this stuff and sending stuff to them, making them scared to prescribe. When the reality is there's nothing illegal about filling it. In fact, it's probably illegal not to fill it in most cases. Yep. Number two, we all know off-label prescribing is totally legal. And so if they give you nonsense, like, oh, it's off-label and I can't fill it and FDA has told us not to prescribe, FDA has never told them not to prescribe. If you look at the wording of anything that came out of the FDA, it never said not to prescribe. It said that they don't – it used to say that they, they – uh, it used to say that they haven't actually reviewed the data yet, um, but then they would talk about animal stuff and they basically say don't use horse paste is what their old stuff said. So, yeah, they, they don't say what Australia said. No, and the CDC just says, you know, they have not approved it yet, and they found it, find that the evidence is insufficient. Like the NIH has a neutral recommendation. They say there's evidence is either, is neither sufficient yep. or, in, you know, to recommend. Uh, unlike, by the way, WHO's negative recommend, recommendation against yep. remdesivir, but that's a different it, story. It, exactly, and you see conflicts, right, on both sides, right? So you see the NIH has a neutral, the WHO, WHO has against, right? And by the way, I would like to point out, and, and I, I hate to like come out as like a Fauci basher, although you can't help it, but you know, he literally on CNN one week ago, he he's the head of NIAD, right? National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, which is part of the NIH. The official NIH treatment guideline for COVID actually has, they review a lot of supportive evidence and they found that it was insufficient to make a recommendation, but they removed their recommendation against. 
and, and you know when they did that is when me and my colleagues at the FLCCC presented to them. So we got the NIH to change their recommendation against the drug. You know what Fauci did last week on CNN? He literally, on CNN, on national television, he said, this drug is proven ineffective, or some words to that effect. He literally came out saying that there's no evidence to show that it's effective, and that, is a, that was a flat-out lie in national television, and it went against his own Institute of Health. That is unbelievable. Yep. Insane. I mean, it's literally, you can go to the website and see what they say. You can see all the studies they show, many of them showing actually strong efficacy of it. So it's it's just crazy. But but going back, so, so you know, I talked about some of the things that the pharmacists, what might motivate these pharmacies, pharmacists into obstructing, uh, but I also want to point out that they can't. So the second question is, this is probably the better way to approach a pharmacist. Don't ask them, you know, um, um, you know, uh, can, uh, do you have any ivermectin? Ask them, can you get ivermectin for me? I'm trying to fill a prescription written by my physician, right? And, and, and because I think if you ask them if they, if they have it, that gives them an out. They could start saying they don't. But hey, we got, we got answers for that. So number one is, are you able to get it for me? So there's possible answers, right, which we talked about. The FDA has told me not to. Um, uh, I'm not putting my license on the line. If it's for COVID, I won't do it. All of that nonsense. So if they say, um, and if that happens, you really, your only recourse if they start going into that stuff is to ask for the store number, the pharmacist name, and then immediately go to corporate. That goes back to what we were saying before. If enough people do that with enough of these chains, this will stop at the retail level. The pharmacist will very quickly say, how can I help you? You know, because you know what I learned in this pandemic, Daniel, and I've learned this everywhere from the ivory towers to the agencies to everything, is that people like to keep their jobs. And 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 the, and the stuff that they'll do to keep those jobs, uh, uh, sometimes it's they're being because they're being told the right thing, but other times it's actually being told the wrong thing, and they do the wrong thing because they want to keep their jobs. But but here's the thing. Let's say they actually fall into. I don't want to call this a trap, but let's say their answer is no, we don't have any on hand. Um, you know, our wholesaler is out. Okay. Well, then you can ask who's the wholesaler, and here's the deal. The three retail chains, Walgreens has Amerisource Bergen. And so if they say that the wholesaler at Walgreens, if that guy actually says it's out, your next question is, well, which, do, which distribution center do you purchase from? There's about 20 to 25 around the country, maybe more. And then you can just say after that, you know, I would like to know when was the last time you checked their inventory? You can just mm. simply ask them, can you please check the inventory of your local distribution center? Because here's the key thing for your listeners. Know that the distribution centers in almost all circumstances can get them inventory within a day. Now, as a doctor, uh, if this is your third day of symptoms and you have to wait for day four to start treatment, I'm not a huge fan of that, but it's way better than not getting treated. Um, and so what I also want to tell your listeners is you need to start getting ivermectin on, upon your first symptoms. Don't wait and don't do stuff like happened to some of my other patients where they literally think they have a cold. 
and then suddenly they start getting really sick and they realize they have COVID and the poor people, I just don't think they're, they're thinking straight. So there's no such thing as a cold right now. It's COVID until proven otherwise. Yes. Why I yes. Say that is you don't want to make the mistake of not treating a cold and then being, you know, suddenly found finding that you're getting really sick with COVID. Yeah. Especially if you're like in, in the Ohio Valley, places like that, you know, Kentucky, Southern Indiana, West Virginia, Tennessee. There's there's a number of other places, really, and and this is just a universal wave, but hotter in some areas. You gotta assume that, and I think my audience is very clued into that. I've been drumming that in the last the last couple of um of months. It's truly remarkable that our policies since last March are revolve around a premise that there's COVID under every rock, except for if you actually have it. Except for treating it, meaning it's all about controlling the person and not the pandemic. It's not it's never about treating the person. And that's the thing. Jump on it. And the beauty of this stuff is, you know, there's a couple of therapeutics that might work that are definitely safe, but they kind of make you lousy. I think yep. colchicine is one of them. You know, gout medication. A lot of people take it for gout, but my brother-in-law has gout. And he's like, yeah, colchicine makes you feel horrible. Yep. But but ivermectin, it really, it just doesn't, it doesn't hurt. Um, it, it's one of the safest and most tolerated drugs in the history of mankind, actually. I mean, come on. It's, it's been distributed across continents to, to, to women, children, elderly, infirm, uh, billions of doses over decades. I mean, even the WHO and their documents, their guideline documents for uh, the other diseases that it treats, they say that side effects are generally minor and transient. And so, I mean, it's literally one of the safest and best And, and by the way, I, I would just point out, when you say minor and transient, so even the few that they would find, and this was even very, very high dose. We talked about this on the show earlier this week, you know, with Australia talking about they don't like the, the FLCC's dosing. And... <laughs> You know, and, and the reality is they've had, you know, 10, 20 times the dosing. But even the side effects you would have, which, by the way, I've, I've personally yet to meet anyone who's found any side effect. I mean, even stuff that you get from, like, amoxicillin, yep. typically, like the runs yep. or something. I don't, yep. Hydroxy, they say you can get the runs from, but although I've never really even heard it with that. But here's the deal. With the Pfizer trial of their vaccine for 12 to 15-year-olds. Now, obviously, we're not we're not worried about this. We're, we're, we're worried about, you know, you don't want serious symptoms. But if you're going to make a deal of there's nausea, like I know, you know, the Florida poison p- uh, control was, was starting to dump on people taking too much uh, zinc. And, yeah, everyone knows zinc is very safe, but it, it's very essential. But, yeah, it can make you nauseous. Sure. But – but but it's something like seventy five percent of the twelve to fifteen year olds experience side effects with the Pfizer shot, and it was fatigue, chills, headache, and even about twenty five percent experienced fever. So you know, and again, I mean, if that's the extent of it, I mean, we're all fine with it. It's more you know certain other things like myocarditis you want to look into, but but we've never made that a benchmark. I mean, everyone knows antibiotics gives you GI issues. Um, and and mind you, with ivermectin, it's really it's extremely rare to even have those symptoms. Yep, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, so let's go back to the step by step if you have time. Yeah. So so yeah, so let's we'll try to go through this. So you know, I, I, I dropped a lot of the stuff that you need, right? Like the the principles of fact that the supply is there. You can always go go to corporate. Uh, there are no corporate policies, but when you're dealing with an individual pharmacy, so. 
the best one that you can navigate is if they don't have any, if they use the excuse, don't have any on hand. So you ask them, who's your wholesaler? And that's really particular to Walgreens because they, they're wholesaler. There's only three big ones, three main ones in the country. And Walgreens is Amerisource Bergen. And then Walgreens is their number one customer. And Amerisource Bergen, even if they're out, um, one of their distribution systems can literally fill within a day in almost all circumstances. CVS has their own distribution system. System They can just order more and they'll get it directly delivered the next day. There's no what's called allocation restrictions, which has been happening in some Walgreens when that, when that cliff face demand happened over the last month. Some, what was happening in some pharmacies is that the wholesalers were running out of their inventory because they hadn't ordered enough. And so they had to play catch up and they were restricting um, filling at a bunch of pharmacies to satisfy their number one customer, which is actually Walgreens. And so Walgreens should not be out of supply, and there should be ready ready access to supply at Walgreens. And so, so that's number one. CVS has their own distribution system. They can get product immediately. Rite Aid, we don't really know. I've been trying to ask around. I've been talking to people. They're much smaller, and so I, I think they're a, a quite, not as significant, um, but I don't really understand theirs. Um, but, you know, your next question is, so which distribution uh, center do you buy from? And when was the last time you checked their inventory? And if they say they haven't in a while, you can ask them to do so, right? Say, please, I'm sick. You know, my doctor said it's critical I get this medicine. Could you please call to see if their inventory is back and, and you can order it and I can come back tomorrow, okay? Now, let's say if they say, oh, yeah, because, again, I, I don't want to call them all liars, but I've, I've, I've heard enough lies from them that I'm really angry. But if they say, yeah, I, I, we called them earlier today, they don't have any, they won't have any for a while. Um, uh, then you could say, well, then who's your secondary supplier, Daniel? They have secondary suppliers. And th those are different suppliers that ship directly from around the country, and they're in the, the tens. Uh, there's many tens of them around the country. So if their main wholesalers are out and there's a medicine they want to get for someone, they can easily call a secondary supplier. Like there's a big one out of Florida called Anda. There's another one out of Minnesota called Bonita. But they can call those, and they all ship directly generally next day air. So do you, you hear what I'm saying, Daniel? Like this, all of this nonsense that I've had to hear from my patients that that they've been told by these pharmacists you know like that that's why like what this part of the reason why we're having the conversation is because I had to figure all this stuff out because I, I just couldn't believe this was happening and what I found out was so it's so uh, relieving, right? Like you talked about it, Dan, that we want to have a positive message here. And like when I found out, like, are you kidding me? This is really the deal that there's no one obstructing it and there's no uh, problems with supply and it can be ordered immediately. And so all of these things that, that, are, that these pharmacists have told patients have been essentially falsehoods. So, so, so you're saying despite the pandemic and, you know, especially in places that are being hit very hard – that you would think there's an unnatural pull on it, you're saying there still is no truth to the fact that they can't get it in, in, in you know, within that part of the state. I got to tell you, I've talked to people who would know. That's what I'm going to say. I've talked to people who okay. would know. And by, by the way, if the other thing was it was true, that what you just said, believe me, we would know. And we would be told that. Um, and that's not what we know. We know the opposite. Supply is not the issue. And now, access are, to supply is not the issue. Are there enough? Are there compounding pharmacies that are cranking up 
just compounding this? There are. They're just – the problem is, is I, I don't think there's like an easy way to figure out who they are, where they are. Like we mm. know some and we've put some on our website and it, it's not really what we like to do, but we know it's critical. And we're trying to help everywhere we can in this. Like you can see just on this conversation, man, I'm, I'm like knee deep into a rabbit hole that I never thought I'd have to be in this <laughs> position. But, you know, I'm doing it because – uh, I don't know, A, who else is going to do it? It's um, insane. You're yeah. critical care, like an ICU doctor, and you somehow yeah, get into Now I'm like Mr. Expert in pharmacy distribution and, and acquisition and supply. It's bizarre. But, um, you know, I guess it extends to my expertise on ivermectin, extends to how it's uh, bought, distributed, and, and you know, delivered to a, a patient. But um, so, so, so that secondary supplier is another good question, which is, could you help? Uh, could you call them? Right. And if they still want to be obstructionist, and you're still now in a, in a really escalated, and unfortunately, probably a very negative, intense interaction. Um, this is the other sort of nuclear option. Nuclear option meaning this, this should get you out of trouble, which is, and I've heard from now several people for whom this is actually more than several people who've been successful with this tactic. But what you do is you email uh, one of the manufacturers of ivermectin, the, one of the, the biggest ones, I believe, uh, you email sales at EdenBridgePharma.com, and mm. you simply tell them the zip code you live in and that you're looking for ivermectin, and they generally have been able to reasonably quickly uh, email back a pharmacy in your zip code that has supply. Can you wait, 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 so so you would you would tell the guy on the phone? No, email them. Just email them. They have pharmacists that answer these emails. So you email sales at EdenBridgePharma.com. That's where a, a, more than a few people have successfully been able to find how to get ivermectin. Um, now, if if but but if, but they'll 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 mail it to the same guy that doesn't want to give it to you. No, 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 no. The actual person, Daniel. The the your the patient. Like for instance, Daniel, if you couldn't get it tomorrow in your zip code, I would tell you email sales at EdenBridgePharma.com and say I'm trying to get my prescription filled from my physician, um, but the pharmacies around here are telling me that they don't have any supply. Mm -hmm. Could you direct me to a pharmacy that does? And they will do that for you. They've done it, you know, numerous times. Uh, I have direct knowledge of numerous times that they've done that. Now, I don't know if they have the capacity to deal with. Like, I don't know what your listenership is here, Daniel. But you know, if it's all I can tell you is everyone needs it. Everyone has friends, relatives, if not themselves. I mean, you know this, the last month or so, if it goes through an area, it used to be like it was like one out of five people, one out of seven people. Now it's like every last person I know in that area gets it when yeah. it goes through there. I mean, it's that prolific. And um, so that is, again, sales.edenbridge. Sales Pharma. At, yeah, sales at edenbridgepharma.com. Uh, and then, yeah, just. Give them the zip code and tell them you're trying to find a pharmacy with inventory, and and they've been super helpful. Um, and that way, you probably that means that pharmacy they give you. Uh, it, my understanding is they've been selling that pharmacy a ton of uh, uh, of product, which means that those are pharmacists that are um, you know prescribing. Um, I got to tell you, one of the let's, let's talk about another positive thing, which is really cool, is is um, all of this crap that we're getting from pharmacists, 
when you find, finally find one who's like happy to help you and you can tell in their voice that they know all this stuff is nonsense and that they they mm. it, it's it's just been really satisfying to connect with a pharmacist so. that he probably got it and he understands the studies that say oh, yeah. that the dosing is so forgiving um and and they've gone so much over that for cancer patients and and no one ever had an issue with it, it, it yeah. yeah i mean it's yeah. like almost impossible to commit suicide on it there was like one person in the history of the world that ever did on like tylenol which is obviously you know over the counter very easy to do um okay so this was very enlightening um if if you have if you're done with this segment i just want and i know we're we're insanely over time but i want 5 minutes of a lightning round on this like a summary no i want i want to just go through some of quick questions that i'm getting from a lot of people one treating children we never thought it would be an issue now with the insane you know a viral load uh, i have my theories as to why it's suddenly happening now but you know kids were immune likely immune to variants as well but not to bio weapons level viral load i'm seeing kids get usually not the cytokine storm but intractable fevers that are hard to get down yep um yep. are you yep. guys coming out with a protocol for kids so oh my gosh we we so so the short answer is yes and i feel like i, I feel like i've failed everyone because what you just highlighted is is totally critical we had a really powerful and moving email written to us written to Paul Marek maybe a few weeks ago by this retired pediatrician who who very nicely but very firmly and authoritatively felt that we had failed and we had failed to address pediatrics and that is an, it's a population that's increasing in need of our guidance and expertise around dosing and treatment and and Paul and I always knew that we're not pediatricians and we'd always sort of like kind of pushed it to the side because in the first few rounds, Daniel, like you just said, they really weren't having trouble and we didn't really advise treating them, you know, as standardly. But now, um, as has been predicted by a lot of, by, by certain very prominent virologists, the variants are now going after the younger and younger folks and they are getting sicker. And and there is a treatment protocol that, that's needed. We're actually trying to pair with a couple of pediatricians now. Um, unfortunately, the pediatrician that we're pairing, pairing with, they don't have any particular, they don't have any experience in treating kids with ivermectin. And so it's it's kind of weird. We're looking for pediat pediatricians to partner with, but one of the key features of us as the FLCCC and the people that we connect with is you need to be a clinician and have clinical expertise. Um, and, you know, having said that, we're still happy to try to put one together, but we, we feel a little uncomfortable um, putting one out without someone who has experience. And so, um, you know, I, I don't know. I, we we, we want to put one out because we do recognize there's an increasing need for it. And, and we're going to work on it. We just updated our outpatient protocol and our inpatient protocol for the Delta variant. And that took a lot of time. Um, a lot of time that we're so stretched on, at least me and Paul, because we work really hard clinically. But um, we just finished that, so uh, uh, so pediatrics is next. Actually, what I just worked on. So real quick, Daniel. 
The other thing that I just finished is I did a, a safety of high-dose ivermectin page, which just blows the FDA out of the water, man. I cite a whole bunch of articles. I cite um, cases of kids. Uh, one kid with cancer they, they were treating with, uh, with ivermectin, 1.0 milligrams per kilogram every day for six months, not one side effect. <laughs> um, overdoses, uh, 10 times doses for three days in a row, not one side effect. And so, I mean, there's there's tons of literature to show uh, that, that it's safe at higher doses. There's even a bunch of COVID studies and health ministry programs where they're using 0.6 milligrams per kilogram every day for five days. And so it, it's just absurd. I don't know what Australia said about the, the word about a high doses, but we are on really firm scientific ground uh, on the safety of our protocols and our doses. Okay, one other thing. Um <clears throat> Uh, I, I'm getting some emails from. I'm fortunate, unfortunately, this is more common than than people realize. But people with organ transplants. Now, I know they have contraindications with plenty of medications, not just ivermectin. But it seems like ivermectin is a problem. So I'm assuming that is jettisoned from the protocol for someone like that. They so, don't. Well, it's not jettisoned, but we have clearly called out that there are interactions. So the the thing about transplant medications, right? is that it's critical one of the one of the core uh responsibilities of a transplant physician is to ensure that the medicines they use remain within therapeutic range that they don't fall into toxic or ineffective ranges right so you don't want too high or too low uh because obviously there's risk to both and and so ivermectin does affect those levels but the answer is you need tighter monitoring right you need to look at the specific interaction if it raises the level then you can always monitor check blood levels more frequently decrease the dose again transplant physicians know that these medicines often fall out of range for you know, higher or lower but the fact is you need to be aware of it and you need to correct it. So it's not it's not it's not that it's dangerous that they fall out of range necessarily. It's if it's unknown and uncorrected. So you don't want it to have it too severe or unknown for too long. And so it, it's not that it's an absolute contraindication. It's just that if you're going to use ivermectin and, with a transplantation, that transplant physician has to know about it. They have to study the interaction and they have to monitor closely. Okay, one other thing about your protocol. I see that you guys now put calcitriol on your protocol, so that is a form of active vitamin D. Vitamin D is very important, but the reality is if someone's hit by this short term, if someone's, you know, it's important to take D3, but if someone's levels are in the toilet right now and they have to assume they're going to get it within the next few weeks, so they don't have enough time to get their levels up, and this is where active D is important. I'm hearing conflicting information from among the Patriot doctors um, like you. Um, what is better, calcitriol or calcitophile? I know there's two different things. So, so let's, I'm going to keep that simple for you. So, so vitamin D3, which is ergocalciferol, um, uh, or it's basically the inactive form. It's a precursor, but it's a distant precursor. It takes a while for it to become active. In fact, probably up to a week. And if you're ill, it might might even be longer because actually the enzymes are actually hypofunctional. So, so the standard stuff you buy over the counter in acute illness 
likely not to change the acute trajectory, although we do think it might have some benefit. But keep in mind, the calcium trial that's on our protocol is on the treatment side, not on the prevention. On the prevention, we think if you take enough vitamin D3 and keep your levels appropriate, you'll be ready when it comes. But like you said, if you're not ready, you have two choices. One is calcifediol and one is calcitriol. Calcifediol is an immediate precursor to the active form. So even though it's a precursor, when you take it, it's pretty quickly becomes active. Calcitriol is the active form. Now, the one randomized controlled trial which showed a pretty potent impact was on calcifediol. And in it, Spain, yeah. It was done in Spain, exactly. It was done in Spain. But here's the problem with calcifediol. The dose they used in that um, study was actually quite high. If you try to put that into a pharmacy, it comes across a little bit like crazy town. Like it's, it's, I mean, like, I don't know, it's 20 or 25 pills to reach that dose. Um, that's number one. Number two, calcifediol is kind of hard to get. From what I understand, it's actually quite expensive and it's not that common a form. And most yes. people around don't use it or have not been used to using it. So we actually took took it off our protocol just to keep things simple because the doses were like – it really actually was confusing and making docs and patients unsettled. And so even though we were – it was evidence-based, it just wasn't practical. And so we now use the active form of vitamin D um, at, at a reasonably low dose. We actually think it could be higher, uh, but it's the active form. So it would be immediately effective. And, and we think – But where do you get it? Uh, that's the problem. You need a, you need a prescription. Wow. So so this is I mean, what you're telling me. This is an important part of the protocol because, again, a lot of people were not bulking up their levels. Some people have absorption issues. You get them you know, compromised. You get someone in a senior care facility. Their level is going to be zero or five or something. Yeah. Yeah. You know, So you're going to really need they- to get it into them. And, and, and I'm curious with your runs in the ICU, I don't understand why in my layman brain I view – Maybe this is oversimplification, but I view the cytokine storm as the dysregulation of vitamin D, basically, among other things. But if to me, if you were to immediately get their levels in that ICU, I mean, the goal is to do it earlier, but you do it there, you, you get it over 50, wouldn't that shut off the cytokine storm? So I don't know that. I don't know that for sure. Um, I don't know if at the point where you get to the ICU, whether vitamin D alone is, is actually going to turn you around. I mean, uh, I'm going to say it's almost definitely not in the ICU. Um, you know, I got to tell you, there are some medicines that are really effective at preventing multi-organ failure or organ failure. But once it develops, it, mm. it doesn't necessarily turn around. Um, and so uh, vitamin D, even active, I think it's synergistic with a lot of the other things, but it alone won't do it. I mean, that's why if you look at our hospital protocol, I mean, it's a it's a really diverse combination of, of therapies. And sure. so uh, I'm not saying not to use it. We use it, uh, but it, it's the IC, once you're in the ICU, it's, it's pretty wicked. It's These patients are sick and it takes a lot to turn them around. Wow. Wow. What a, what a, what a job. Final, final point coming full circle to where we began. We're at a time here. The cost. What, what's becoming a big shame is that you have a drug that should be pennies on the dollar. It is off patent. 
should be very easy to produce. But because of this game and this at least perceived scarcity, a lot of people are complaining to me that at the end of the day, I mean, it's not one of these things that's a fortune, but it really is adding up. So both the cost, because the number of pills, and then tied into that point of secondary question, because it's so many pills, the, the, there's a user problem with this. The, the one problem with, with ivermectin, it's not inherent, it's just the way it's produced, is the three milligram uh, pills. Now, they are very, very tiny, very easy to yeah. swallow, but yeah. people that are getting sick, they're nauseous, they have fever, and they have to take other parts of the protocol. So, you know, you get a big guy. I mean, I'm, I'm smaller, but you get a guy like, you know, who's over 200. I mean, you, you're, you're popping a lot of pills. Is there any way to A, bring down the cost, and B, get things that are more like 15 milligrams? Unfortunately, in this country, the the most common product you'll find in pharmacies is three milligrams. But but to your point, though, you made the point there is that you know they're tiny pills. Uh, you know, three milligrams is a tiny dose. So yeah, you're gonna have to take five, ten, fifteen pills, especially on the higher doses. But they're really tiny, and and I trust people can get them down. Now the cost. Um, you know, it's a problem. I mean, especially if you don't have insurance. I mean, I feel terrible. Insurance like, is not covering for a lot like, of people. No, but like they say, I, I feel terrible for anyone without health insurance, which is, is when you're sick, is that, you know, you, you have to sacrifice things to, to pay for medicines for your health. I don't, ha I, I don't have answers for everything. Um, but, but you're right. There's two problems. One is if you don't have insurance, that cost of all those medicines will ramp up real quick. Um, number two, let's say even if you do have insurance, um, that's a number of prescriptions. So even with copay, you might have to pay uh, pay a few bucks. But um, I, you know, at the same time, I got to tell you, man, that this disease you, you want to get behind ahead of it, not behind it. There's one thing I've learned: don't get behind. You know, everyone yeah. that I've stayed ahead of and be become maybe more aggressive than I thought I should be, or I wasn't sure, and I said, you know, do I need to put them on this and this? Because I got to tell you. In most cases, if you take ivermectin on first um, symptoms, you generally turn things around pretty quickly. It's, it's the delays that I'm seeing. Yes. And, and, and also with, with Delta. Um, the other thing is if you're on ivermectin, in almost all circumstances, the symptoms are mild. You can turn it around even faster. Um, but, you know, there are times when people aren't – they just ignore the symptoms and or they don't diagnose it correctly or they don't really understand they're sick or they can't get to a doctor. And by the time they get to someone, it's day six, seven, or eight, in which case, unfortunately, you're in that situation where I, I'm going to advise that you use more things. And if you look at our protocol now, we have first line and second line. Um, and, and listen, I, I got to tell you, let, let's backtrack on this because this is such an important issue. Daniel, one thing you haven't talked about or asked me about is if you look at our protocol on the first line therapies, you know, one of the most highly effective therapies is ridiculously cheap and can be bought over the counter. And that is the viricidal, which is uh, mouthwashes, which is mouthwashes which kill SARS-CoV-2. If you use that regularly three times a day upon first symptoms and you combine that with povidone iodine nasal drops, you know, four to five times a day, you can basically turn this disease around in a few days. I mean, all of the viral burden is in what we call the oral nasal pharynx. And and so, for instance, I get the best anecdote. I was talking to Paul Merrick. He had a neighbor of his who was sick. Um, he didn't have ivermectin for her, and he brought over um, 
uh, what he uses is povidone iodine uh, nasal sprays, which is the same thing. You can do it at home. You just have to dilute. Uh, you can you can buy the bottle from the pharmacy. It just has to be diluted. You it's ten percent, so you yeah. want to put in nine parts. Uh, nine parts of, uh, of of you know saline water. Uh, you know saline, but but you know. He, he he said he was shocked that she was out gardening like two days later and felt great, um, and and he really actually felt it was it was the mouthwashes and 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 you know nasal sprays and you know there's this one trial I think it was in India or in Bangladesh with the povidone iodine and it was insane like literally nineteen fold decrease yeah. in hospitalization exactly. yeah exactly and and it may, it makes sense because the thesis I think we're developing young women that used to it used to be a joke like this was a nothing getting very sick kids even getting you know very bad flus at least if not the cytokine storm yep um you have you know it just it all and and then, and then the truncated period into the inflammatory phase it all seems to indicate a, a high viral load issue so that's what you want to do so i've been telling my wife now i've got her on it if nothing else even prophylactically just before you go to sleep, you do mouthwash anyway, yep. do the nasal irrigation. So if you happen to have incubated it that day, you'll at least, you know, you, you, you wake up in the morning with symptoms, you would have at least gotten down some of the viral load. There's a lot of good videos on the internet that show how to do this. Yep. Um, you know, I, I use yep. these like allergy sprays because they're very user friendly. So I empty one of them out and clean them out. And, you know, then you have a nice spray bottle there. Um, so yeah, my audience is very familiar with that. You know, it's funny, like I, we could go on forever, but this really has to be it. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about it. It's very tragic. I'm hearing this too much. Um, and I'm going to try not to curse because this really bothers me. Yep. These OBGYNs that they're, this is the Super Bowl. If you're an OBG, right, you should have been spending 18 months looking at, okay, which drugs absolutely cannot be used for pregnant women? Which ones we normally don't, but in a pickle you can. I am getting, again, my sister-in-law, she was 39 pregnant last year. It was a joke. It was a cold, young women, a bit better than young men even. They never had an issue with this, yep. uh, very rarely. Now, obviously, they're getting it. I'm seeing them. You know, the, the blood oxygen level drops to, to the low 90s, and you're in that very critical period where it's treatable, but if you don't, you're going to be in trouble. Um, but your options are limited. Are you guys going to come out with a pregnant protocol because i'm seeing there's a lot of precarious situations there well you know ivermectin ivermectin it's, again it's not contraindicated for pregnancy you just have to use a risk benefit analysis around it it's actually the problem with, with ivermectin pregnancy we don't have like you know dense or profound safety data on it but i will tell you if you look at the comprehensive reviews on the safety of ivermectin um it's thought to be safe in pregnancy there used to be some scares and worries around it, but it's been largely proven to be safe. Now, most of that data is on single doses or one to two doses. So again, we're in uncharted territory, and anytime we talk about a pregnant woman, it's not clear, but I gotta tell you, you know, pregnant women, you know, there is something that we call the immunosuppression of pregnancy. Pre pregnant women are actually uniquely, sometimes their immune systems are actually not as strong as they otherwise would be, and they're, they actually can be prone to worse outcomes. And so, Everything's risk-benefit in medicine anyway. And so I have to be clear, like, 
I don't know if my my sister. I don't have a sister, but if 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 a close person to me or a patient of mine was pregnant, you know, I would ask questions. Is it first trimester? How sick are they? Do they have comorbidities? Um, and you know, I would try to pair ivermectin, maybe at a lower, more known safe dose with uh, or a shorter course with other stuff that I know that could be safe. You know, and, and especially like the cheap stuff. And going back to that cost thing, right? So I just want to hammer that home, Daniel. That mouthwash and povidone iodine. I mean, even someone without insurance can afford a few bucks. I hope. I mean, to, to try. Yeah. To no. I mean, so, th- there, yeah. there's that. There's also um, um, uh, so steroids get a little bit. You know, sticky those obviously with pregnant, but with pregnant. No steroids you can use in pregnant. Are you kidding me? Do you have any asthmatics I've treated who've been pregnant? So many pregnant. One third of pregnant women with asthma, their asthma gets worse in pregnancy. And so I've, I, I have battled uh, pregnant asthmatics my whole career. And and you know what? I've treated them with prednisone very successfully. And here's the thing. Here's the thing with, with steroids in, in asthma is that you want to know what the best thing for the baby is, no matter what medicine, no matter what disease. It's actually the health of the mother. Meaning if that mm. if that mom is sick, you know what the best thing for the baby is, is getting that mom well. And I think people forget and physicians often forget that very simple principle because they get it, it, worried I, about risk tolerance and getting sued. Yeah. And the, I the, felt know. like wringing yeah. this guy's neck out. It was a friend of mine in New Hampshire is a, a state legislator. And, and, and this is the beauty, a friend of a friend. And then I got, you know, I got Dr. Ryan Cole yeah. to consult on it. And like, you know, people don't know each other, just want to help. And and I couldn't. This is a woman. She got vaccinated, which is a whole nother thing. Like the guy somehow, you know, let's just say he wasn't concerned about any, you know, the the lack of data. You know, it's still ongoing, just like the studies with under twelve and and you know, yep. except under twelve, we don't administer it. But pregnant women, evidently, we are, and they're pressuring them. And some OBGs will say you can't even be in my practice. Fine. So she goes, gets it. Um, she gets the virus. All right, well, you got the vaccine, so you won't get bad symptoms. Well, her blood oxygen level went down to 93. So, oh, you know, and that's that, that was, and, 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 you know, we were all very scared for her. Yeah. And the OBG told her to drop dead. No budesonide, no, um, no prednisone, no anything. And, 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 and thank God she's better. And, you know, Ryan really took care of her. But, but like, well, what the heck? No, I. What the heck? Of course. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, you got a doctor at the end of the day, and and like I said, it, it's the health of the mom. You know, there there is no baby without the mom, and then with COVID, uh, you know, you got to worry about that. And, and so. when you have that blood oxygen level dropping, you you wonder if it if it's going to come out of the baby anyway. One hundred percent. You know, I I don't understand. This is what I cannot, I cannot fathom. I know there's some debate over at what stage to prescribe a steroid, like, you know, because you don't want to suppress right away. But when when your levels are dropping already, I I literally cannot relate to a doctor that you call them up and they're like, hey, buddy, kind of, you know, wait it out until uh, you can't breathe and go to the hospital. I just... That is the biggest scandal in the history of America. It's insane. it's, it's and and I, I I mean going yeah I mean I'm living this so I don't want to look back at this time in history but uh, the things I've seen the things I've heard the behaviors that I've seen around you know fellow physicians I'm largely estranged from my profession at this point um, I, I just 
it's it's been really hard to take and my only hopes are that i'm not i don't remain estranged and that uh, that there is a reckoning and that people look back and say i don't know how we allowed this i don't know how we not only allowed this behavior but actually promoted these behaviors and restricted good behaviors uh, around physicians it's it, it, okay it's got to stop uh, thanks I, I, no 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 dr Corey, you're you're getting me so ticked off yeah, well, that, welcome that to you're, my life. You're reminding me of something. So I went after OBGs, but the last target has to be your profession. I don't understand. So I'm a dinky guy that, that never even took pre-med. Yep. But I understand what thrombosis and inflammation are. Yep. So what I don't get is how could you have a pulmonologist that sees what this thing does, sees the progression of it in millions of cases. Yep. Why aren't there like a thousand of you in this country? <sighs> that, that, that's talk for another time, Daniel. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Long night. Well, I look, actually, you know. I actually have to see patients right now, and I'm on until noon tomorrow. So, uh, and this is nighttime for your listeners. So, uh, well, we, we went over time. <laughs> Thanks so much for your advice. It's going to save lives. Folks, we're out of time. Uh, send me your questions for Dr. Corey. This is one of the greatest Americans alive. Dr. Corey, thanks again. We'll speak to you later, folks. Have a terrific day. We'll be back on Friday. Um, Send this show to everyone you know. It will save a life. God bless you all. Thank you for listening. 